Good morning, and welcome to a special election interview edition of the Tuesday Point. And I'm Steve Schaefer. Today we will be conducting our first of several interviews of candidates for the Ben Lapine School Board. During this special election season, we will also be airing some of the forums hosted by the League of Women Voters of Deschutes County and the City Club of Central Oregon on this and other races. We are very happy to be joined by uh, Jeanette Sarai Yurandi. Jeanette is running for the Bend Lapine School Board Position 4. This is going to be our first in a few interviews on the Tuesday point and Friday point and maybe some other days of candidates for the Ben Lapine School District. Uh, Jeanette, thank you for joining us this morning. Hi, Bruce. Thanks for having me. Good to get to hear your voice and be back with you, even over telephone. <laughs> you're right. That's, yeah, it's so much better in person. But yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you're on the line. Uh, and so, uh, Jeanette, I'm just going to open up here and let you let you kind of roll with a couple of things. I think the first question I'm sure people would be interested in knowing is a little bit about your background and especially as it's relevant to your uh, service on the school board. Yeah, thanks, Bruce. So first and foremost, most I'm a parent. Um, I have two kiddos that uh, attend the Ben Lapine School District. One is in middle school. The other one is uh, also in middle school, but on the online uh, program through Ben Lapine School. Um, we've been in Central Oregon for about 11 years. Uh, so they've been in kindergarten um, through through middle school right now, and we have experienced some unfortunate, you know, realities that that exist, some inequities that that are happening in our school district. Um, and not only that, just the information from from folks that I'm in community with sort of tell us this is this is happening to more than just my family, obviously. Um, as far as my background, um, in addition to being a full-time mom, single parent, I am the finance and administrative coordinator for the Early Learning Hub of Central Oregon and Better Together. Those are two organizations that work side-by-side side, um, to address some of those disparities and gaps in our educational district, um, starting from prenatal all the way to career. The other component of that in my background is that I founded and run a, a nonprofit group called Mecca Bed that serves the Latinx migrant um, undocumented community of Central Oregon. All right. Thank you, Jeanette. So um, I'd, we'd like to give you about a, a couple of minutes uh, just to tell people uh, why you're running for school board and why they should vote for you. Well, uh, as I mentioned, I'm a parent and our experience has been um, pretty difficult and in my work as the role of the director of NECA Bend, I've worked really closely with a lot of Latino families in the area um, that were experiencing a lot of incredibly challenging times during COVID and even prior to in, in relationship with their children's education, not having information, not feeling supported, um, and also having to sort of conform or adapt to the dominant culture's way of doing things has been incredibly challenging for us as parents um, of color and with students of color. So it's one of the main reasons that, you know, pushed me to want to run is because that representation on the board is non-existent. And if we have a group of seven members of the community that don't have that lived experience, don't have that awareness and that exposure to realities outside of their own, um, we truly are doing a disservice to the community as a whole. 
So while I may not have all of the answers and I may not have the most background that would support this seat, it is made up of seven members. And so having that distinction and that uniqueness among us is is proving to be something incredibly impactful because we can work together as an entire body moving together to see these changes that we all want to see in our schools. Thank you. I was about to say about your voice being one of one of seven, and so having the the value of um, yours being unique. Yeah. So, just if you don't mind, I kind of wanted to run through, uh, ask about some of the things that you've uh, listed in your your website and the pamphlet as your priority issues. And one of them you say is prioritizing the inclusion of all students for the success of our schools. Can you talk uh, about that and what your thoughts are about how to do that better? Yeah, so the district has shown um, some interest in moving forward with some more understanding educational opportunities, professional developments for teachers, educators, superintendents um, in regards to racial equity. And and so they're making some changes there um, to, to include more teachers and, and get more support for, for providing that. With this, you know, knowledge that is now being um, dispersed among our district, comes responsibility to act. So we can't just stop at understanding what diversity, equity, and inclusion are. We don't necessarily need to keep hounding on the definition. Now that we know what what it means, now that we understand why it's so necessary in our schools, we need to act upon that. And, And part of that priority issue is creating those welcoming environments because our schools are predominantly uh, white students, white educators, those that fall outside of that group tend to have those barriers placed before them in a very different way and, and again, have not felt the full support of our school district, um, particularly with the school current school board. So when I say, you know, I want to prioritize this, it, it's going to take years of unlearning and years of rebuilding uh, in a way that is more equitable. But um, the the social emotional well-being of our students is a a key priority for me and one small way that we can do that is by using these inclusionary practices that we've learned and actually putting them into an action plan creating those environments that tell students you belong here you are welcome here some of that has to do with the representation that's within the building itself But it also spans beyond just that. It's not just getting in more black and brown teachers so that children feel included. It's changing an environment. It's changing the culture of an environment that says whether we are of the same race or skin color or not, I'm still going to give you the same attention and place the same value on you as a student as I am to all others. So that, that I hope expands a little bit more on what I mean by creating those those environments of inclusion. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, one of the things I saw in your uh, website, I believe, was that when you were younger, your family's first language was Spanish, and you learned English, and you had to sort of be the translator, interpreter between yeah. your parents and and school and the school, your teachers, and that sort of thing, which must have been difficult yeah. for you. And I I understand that's that happens, that still happens a fair amount. I'm just wondering if you can yeah. maybe expand on that and talk about what. What kind? What kinds of things you can do? I, I guess to avoid that or heal that, whatever whatever the 
proper <laughs> language yeah. on it. Yeah. Yeah. It it certainly wasn't. It didn't feel difficult at the time because okay. I didn't know any better. <laughs> right, <laughs> it was right, just okay. sort of you know, th- this is the natural thing that you know that happens. We have to do this. Um, my parents were undocumented. I've shared this um, repeatedly. They were undocumented for many many years. And, you know, learning the, the language in addition to doing everything that they could to advance their immigration status and, and following all of those, you know, protocols and processes was incredibly difficult for them. And so the focus was not on, on our education because they were, they were still trying to figure out who they were, where they fit into this country and how they could do this, you know, the quote legal way. Um, and so our education was, you know, not a, a big focus. Uh, what's changed in the last thirty some years? Um, it's it, not much, mm-hmm. because what what I what I'm seeing is is the same sort of patterns that are repeating themselves. It's families that are that have migrated to this region to this area that are so focused on working, providing for their family, and and doing everything that they can to fall in that line of you know path of citizenship. So there, there is not much engagement and there's not much emphasis on um, the child's education because kids are still struggling and, and parents are still struggling to understand the information and to be included in communications in a way that honors our cultural differences. So, yeah, I spent my, my youth being the translator for everything, whether it was a rental application or it was, you know, um, my own report card having to translate. Mm-hmm. Hey, mom. Hey, mom, I flunked math. And now I got to tell you. In Spanish. <laughs> um, it keeps happening. And, and this is the, the reality that I think a lot of us just aren't exposed to is that this has continued. It, it's happening today. And if you can just imagine what it was like with remote distance learning, having parents that don't speak the language, that don't have access to technology, um, trying to support their child's education at home became incredibly challenging, frustrating, um, and quite frankly, devastating for a lot of families that simply could not support it um, for, for many reasons. So it's an issue that I grew up, you know, with. Um, I haven't seen that needle move far enough. From that, and so I come in with that advocacy for those families that are English language learners, and, and and say, look, if we want all students to succeed, we must be intentional about centering the most vulnerable around us, because when we do that, they're going to be self-sufficient, they're going to be more engaged, they're going to be active participants, and we're all going to benefit from it. So one of the things that you also talk about is, uh, and you kind of mentioned it in this last answer, is the importance of family engagement and then how that relates to graduation rates. Can you talk about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the disengagement, disenfranchisement, minoritization, whatever we want to call it, for families with students of color, you know, any person that's black, indigenous, or a person of color, that disengagement happens for a reason. Each family uh, unit has their reason why. Um, I can probably list, you know, the top five, <laughs> but I also can't speak. I can't speak for others. I know that um, there is a big effort across the district to provide communication in Spanish in a timely manner. Um, but we need to we need to be more intentional about how we're reaching out to families because we need to first recognize again celebrating our cultural differences is a good thing. Um, we don't need to. Uh, erase the the those differences between us. We just need to understand them so that we can adapt. And if our school board and our school district is unwilling to adapt to the need of the community, 
uh, we're going to find ourselves in the same boat, you know, over and over again, where families just simply don't want to or can't um, communicate or engage with with teachers and educators and, and administrators. Um, one of the ideas that 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 I have come up with that has worked, um, it, it's a lot more detailed than just this. But essentially, it's empowering families uh, by neighborhood. It, it, it's creating that self-sufficiency within the community. There, you know, We gather in one place for a reason. We all kind of live together close to each other um, for a reason. It's because we, we need that support system that it offers. And so when we empower a group, let's say, of you know, a, a two or three fa- families that are living in an apartment complex, we're, we offer them technology. We ask them to share a hot spot. We ask them to be supportive of each other. And, and we're there to support, navigate, and help with resources. Then they spread that message and they become their own advocates and they're bringing in other families to say, look, they've shown us how to do this. Come here. We're going to show you. We're going to get you involved. And that spreads like wildfire. It's something that has to be intentional. It has to be somebody that has that connector that's a conduit to that community that's non-existent right now. So we can do better. We've modeled it in other areas. There's no reason why we couldn't do that with our school district. Jeanette, as always, these things go by fast. We've got a few more minutes, so we're not just about to run out of time. But I wanted to – you've got a few other issues, but the one that I really wanted, wanted to get into make sure we have plenty of time is uh, your discussions about the relationship of, of our schools and families and the health of our children. Yeah. Um, just to clarify, it's Zone 7. <laughs> oh, it is? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, we're, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> okay. It's okay. Yeah, the, uh, and I'm sorry, I was focused on that. Can you repeat that real quick? Yeah, no, I'm sorry. So, yeah, Jeanette Sarai-Yurandi, she's running for Ben Lapine School Board, Zone 7. I don't know where I came up with position 4. Um, but anyway, Zone 7. So look for uh, a Jeanette on the ballot under Ben Lapine School Board, Zone 7. <laughs> I, and I was referring to the question that you asked, if you could repeat that. I'm so sorry. I didn't catch that. <laughs> okay. Oh. All right. No. So, yeah, yeah, right. Um, I don't know where I got positioned. For. Okay. Anyway, so one of the things that that I know you mentioned in your materials is the importance of schools and also, you know, engagement, resource navigation, some of the things you've mentioned uh, to the health of our children. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the the biggest concern uh, is is just that, and and we're we're obviously talking about the what's happened with COVID and reopening schools and transitioning back to in person learning. You know, I could not imagine being a board member during that time. They had some incredibly difficult decisions to make um, with getting our kids back in school in a safe way and, and in a way that you know followed the, the the guidelines and the guidance that was given by by the ODE and, and the state. So, you know, when we're talking about bringing our kids back into school, we need to look at sort of a bigger picture. What has happened is that a lot of families have opted not to return to in-person, whether it's because of the risk of COVID or because of the environments that they know permeate the halls of our school, or it's because they've moved out of the area simply because they've, you know, they can't afford to live here anymore. These are big issues that are part of a much bigger problem that we need to address, not only on the school board. I personally have a good working relationship with city councilors um, and have reached out to to get some of their support and, you know, create sort of a foundation for a plan moving forward. We need to do this together. Families are disengaged. Graduation rates are down for a reason. It's not because students and teachers aren't putting in their part. It's because something is happening outside of school 
in the environment of home or, or the city where they live that is not supporting the family wholly. And so we need to, we need to bring it back to, again, this bigger picture and, and take a more human centered approach. There is data, there are metrics, and we can analyze those and we can study them and we can come to conclusions on what the disparities are. But when we start looking at those numbers as just numbers on a chart, we forget that there's actually humans tied behind those numbers. So my, my intentional outreach with, with folks of my community is to understand what is happening at home. What are the barriers? What do you need to feel supported and how can I achieve that? And if we don't have folks that are intentionally reaching out to the community to ask, how do you need us to help? I think we're going to continue to ignore these really big issues like the health of our children, whether it's because of COVID or it's emotional support that they need um, because of the environments in school. We need to be more, um, we need to be more direct. We need to be more honest in what capacity we have. And we need to, again, center the human around uh, the data to, to truly find solutions that work. It's a lot less expensive to be proactive. Right? <laughs> than reactive. Right. Yeah. And, and, Go ahead. No, and, and, and that's sort of the cycle that we're stuck in, is, is we're reacting to an issue that we knew has existed for, for a long, long time. COVID wasn't new, right? COVID didn't, uh, it, it wasn't new in the way that, that I mean that it brought on a new set of problems. It was the same problems, just intensified because of what happened with the closures. Yeah, I think when we're negligent with our children's welfare, the cost is far too high. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, Jan, now we are coming to the end. Um, we've got about a minute. If you just anything else you want to add or, uh, you know, you have a closing statement, uh, whatever, whatever you want to add. Um, one thing that I'd like to add is, that I touched on is is sort of those those partnerships, those relationships of trust that I've been able to build over the you know decade plus years that I've been here in in Central Oregon. Um, it's it's critically important for us to take a look at this position um, in, in a very unique and, and different way. We we have the opportunity right now to bring in um, not only my voice, which is a very strong voice for advocacy around the BIPOC community with an emphasis on Latinx students. We also have the opportunity with folks like Marcus LeGrand, who are heavily involved in community, have started their own nonprofit, are directly working in the community. We need to listen to these voices that know what's happening, that are actively working out there and have built and established those relationships of trust. And, and again, like I said, are serving sort of as that medium or conduit between the community and the board. All right, great. Jeanette Sarai Yurandi, running for Zone 7 of the Ben Lapine uh, School Board. Thank you very much for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, we re- really appreciate you. your you know answers, your thoughtful answers. And, um, yeah, hopefully we'll do this again on some other topic down the road, Janet. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Michael. Great, great uh, to be here. All Thanks right. for having me. Great. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for listening to our interview with Jeanette Sarai Yarandi running for Zone 7 of the Bend Lapine School Board.